Welcome to The Naked Truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off with the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 17. Uh, Let's begin with verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So um, just to catch you up, the people have been delivered from slavery in Africa and they are in Egypt and now they're on their way out of Egypt to what's called generally called the promised land. Um, but they're going to wander through the wilderness for 40 years before they get there, even though it's it doesn't take that long to get there, even by foot. It wouldn't take that long to get there. Um, but it's uh, that's where the people are. And. Already, since their deliverance, they've complained uh, more than once against the, we'll just say the Lord, since that's what it's identified as, uh, who delivered them again and again. Verse 2, therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? So we read in the last chapter how uh, Moses let them know when they gripe and complain, um, it's not against him that it's not uh it's not against Moses and Aaron, the people who are walking with them, sort of who were uh were the uh the the ones who helped get them out of the slavery as far as directing them there. And their gripes and complaints are actually against God Almighty or the Lord as it's called here. And you know why I say that? Because the word Lord is translated from many different other words in the Old Testament. Um but we'll just say the Lord to keep it simple. Um, so they're letting them know that their complaints, uh, take it up with the Lord. That's who's at, who's actually at the head of your rescue. Verse 3, and the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you brought us up out of Egypt to kill them and their children and their livestock with thirst? So they're sassy. They're, and it's understandable when you get hungry, you get hangry sometimes so they're hungry at times and they get in these moods and they are thirsty even more understandable you don't have anything to drink and you're wandering through a wilderness very understandable that you catch getting your emotions getting your feelings and get a mood get a catch an attitude so um they're wondering and uh what's the deal did you rescue us from slavery so that you could watch them die out in the wilderness uh, did you save them from slavery so that you could watch them and their children die of thirst? Verse 4, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone him. He's saying he's he's having communication with the Lord and wondering, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're they're too much. They, they're, uh, they're very extra right now. They're ready to stone him. Because they don't have anything to drink. And again, this isn't the first time that they've turned on him since they've been rescued from slavery. Verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. So now he's been told to take up that rod again. And uh, it's the same rod, presumably, that he used uh, when the different um, plagues were pronounced on the Egyptians. Uh, leading up to their rescue from the slavery. So he's been told to get that and to gather some other people, elders. So presumably with age comes wisdom. So presumably some of the wisest people of the bunch. 
um, to take all of them and go. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So Moses was obedient. He took the rod, struck the rock, and water came out for them all, which is what they were craving. They were thirsty in the wilderness, and they needed water. And through that miracle, they got it. Now, the thing that I noticed about this is that something similar is going to happen again, and it's going to be what causes Moses to be uh, barred from even entering the promised land they're going to wander 40, 40 years for um, through the wilderness form. He's going to be given a similar command to provide for the people and to use the rod, but he's going to make one misstep with the rod and it's going to be enough apparently to uh, make God want to cancel him as far as uh, make God cancel him, at least as far as his admission to the promised land that he's leading people to. And that's all I'll say about it till we get to it for now. Verse 7, so he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the people, because of the, tension, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So apparently Massa or Meribah translates to, and forgive me if I pronounce any of these wrong, um, um, I think they translate back to temptation or contention. I'm sorry. So that's why they named it that because that's what the people were doing. They were contending with the Lord. They were testing the Lord. They were working the Lord's nerves with um, their griping, it seems. And they're wondering, well, is God with us or not? If he's with us, why is there suffering? And if he's not, then what was the point of rescuing us from the slavery? Which I mean, kind of makes sense. It's understandable. It, 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 it would go it would make sense to go through someone's mind if the lord has overcome the world and we're supposed to be of good cheer then how is it the world seems to keep uh being so dominant and so uh victorious in so many different ways if god if jesus has already overcome it where's the help and it's like well if we're on the right side if we're on the side of the powerful the almighty the righteous one then where is the righteousness? Where is the power? Where is the might? Why aren't we seeing it show up? Verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. So this is sort of sudden that they've got someone named Amalek fighting with them. But I don't think it's a person. I think it's a people. Um, as if we, I seem to recall that name when we read some of the genealogies previously in, uh, in Genesis. I think Amalek are actually some of their distant cousins, but whatever the case may be, it's some other people that have um, decided to fight against them. Verse 9, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with, with the rod of God in my hand. So now we are introduced to Joshua. He's going to have his own book coming up after we get through the five books, of the so-called five books of Moses. Um, then Joshua gets introduced there, his own book. But this is that same Joshua who's sort of the army commander or the, yeah, that's basically what he is. And he's giving them a command to um, on how to go out and deal with the people who have decided to fight with them. And that seems interesting that why would the Lord allow that if the Lord just uh, delivered up all the enemies 
who are enslaving them, why would uh, God allow some other people to just come up and start fighting with them for no apparent reason, or at least no stated reason? Verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So we're also introduced to her now. It's I'm not sure who that is. I mean, it makes me think of the old movie Ben Her, but I don't know if that's the same her or not represented in that movie. But whatever the case, we have Moses and Aaron, the uh, governmental leader, the religious leader, and now her, presumably the military leader, all three gone up to top of the hill while Joshua's gone down to the battle. Verse 11, And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So imagine that. Sounds almost like a, a spell or witchcraft where you're waving the wand and as long as you keep the incantation going, you're winning. As soon as you stop, you start losing. It sounds almost comical, but... You see what that is according to the narrative, that's what's happening as long as Moses held up, they held up. When the Moses got weak, they got weak. Verse twelve But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it up, put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Again, sounds kind of comical that it's come to that, that the only way they're winning is if Moses keeps his arms raised up. So they go to whatever lengths they can, even holding up his arms themselves to keep them up and keep the winning going. Verse 13, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So this is one of the first introductions of war being um, part of their uh, religious uh, duties and rights. You see the introduction of Joshua and her and the battle and killing being um, uh, the sword being introduced here, as far as I can remember, the first time um, as part of their uh, campaign. Whereas it wasn't introduced when they were enslaved. They weren't told to take up arms then and fight their way out. Since, if I remember right, they were outnumbering the people who were enslaving them, sort of like the American slave saga. There were more slaves, or there were plenty of slaves, and on plantations they outnumbered the masters, and yet somehow they still dominated them. We know how somehow they had the law and arms on their side, whereas the slaves didn't. Um, verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for memorial in the book and recount, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So it seems, for whatever reason, the Lord, as we say, we'll just call it the Lord, since that's what it says, has now got beef with Amalek forever uh, and going to utterly blot them out of remembrance. But how can that be if it's written in the book to be remembered for all time? Verse 15, And Moses built an altar and called its name the Lord is my banner. So um, some Bibles will say Jehovah Nisi, I think is what is it translates back to Jehovah being the part that the Lord is translated from. And Nisi, the part about banner or battle fighter. Um, um, 
So that's another example, like I was saying before, of the words, the Lord, being translated from many different words, many different names, presumably many different deities, not all one, and not any of the ones that Jesus uses, at least in the translations we have in the New Testament. But whatever the case may be, Moses has built an altar there to that deity, that entity, that Lord, and given it that specific name, my banner. Meaning uh, defense, the fighter, the, the that's who's done the defeating, done the winning. Verse 16, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So um, he's giving the Lord that banner, uh, giving the Lord that name as the banner, my banner. Um, it's saying because of the beef that the Lord has, uh, it seems, sworn to have between uh, the Lord and Amalek, the children of Israel and Amalek, the Lord and Amalek, perpetually from generation to generation, even though the people of Amalek, as far as I know, aren't even recognized as a people in modern times. And even though if they're blotted out, like I said, they're still written down here as memorial for all time, at least in the Bible as it survives. And in what other holy books include this book of Exodus in them. Um, but, and that ends this reading in the book of Exodus for us. I appreciate you checking it out with me as always. I hope it was a blessing for you and hope you'll join me again. We do our Old Testament readings on Mondays and Wednesdays. And on Saturdays, that's where we focus on the New Testament, specifically on the red letters of the New Testament, meaning what it is Jesus had to say. Those six books out of the 60 plus books in the Bible that have Jesus's quotes in them or quotes attributed to Jesus in them. And that's what we focus on on Saturday nights since there's less of them and since I self-identify as a Christian. And uh, for me, that means hearing what Jesus has to say. This is his name. His title is Christ. And letting that be our guide. Um, you can see past readings here on this platform while they last. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my platform. It's hungtgirl.com while it lasts. And you can see the Naked Truth readings on the Spirit and Soul pages. You can find out more about me with the Body, Mind, Spirit, and Soul with all the pages. But specifically the Naked Truth on those two areas of the site. You can get a membership, make a donation, or just enjoy the free content by clicking the pictures. They're actually videos. And um, enjoy that. All of that helps me. So I appreciate that. And thank you for that. God bless you for that. And God bless you for joining me now. I hope you'll join me again. In the meantime, please stay safe. Love your neighbor. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. And God bless you. Peace to you. See you next time.